Hi Freedom Church uh, and thanks so much for logging in and joining us as we come towards the end of our series in the book of Acts. Uh, we are today in Acts 27, so if you want to turn there that would be great. And just uh, some context for this passage is really important. Pete was preaching last week, wasn't he, on Paul standing trial. Uh, we found out that it, this was two and a half years where he was being heard by different uh, rulers, including Felix and Festus and King Agrippa. Um, and up to this point here, no one has declared him innocent or guilty. They have come to the conclusion that maybe he doesn't deserve death. Um, but actually, Paul is the one who has appealed to speak to the big dog. This is Caesar in Rome. And so they decided, uh, after all of this time, to grant his request to go to Rome to speak to Caesar. And so we move into chapter 27, where uh, the centurion Julius has been given the authority, he's been given the responsibility to take Paul by ship to Rome. And so they board several ships and uh, it's on their final journey uh, that we come to a lot of the narrative here. And in this journey, they have a huge hurricane that hits them and knocks them off course. And there's lots of things that happen, but during this narrative, an angel of the Lord appears to Paul and brings him faith and confidence of the journey ahead and speaks to him about the fact that God wants to rescue all 274 men on this ship. And so this storm happens for 14 days and then they end up having new problems. They hit the sandbank uh, as they can see the shore and um, the ship starts to become destroyed. And what's interesting is we started this lockdown. I don't know if you remember this, but I started by talking about another storm that was happening. This was uh, a storm that the disciples were on a boat uh, on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. And it's interesting, we're just starting to move out of this lockdown season and we come to yet another storm. But this storm we're going to read is far more prolonged than the storm in Galilee. Uh, just like lockdown, to be honest, has been far more prolonged than many of us could have imagined. Uh, but I wanted today just look at three things very quickly that we can learn from this great narrative. So the first one is simply that God knows what we need and when we need it. And I remember when I was 20, being at university and coming home and, and looking pretty ill. And it was my mother who said, I think, you're, I think you need to go to the doctors and have some uh, tests, which I did. It turns out after that evening, I got a call from the GP saying, yes, there's a problem, go to the hospital. And so for the next couple of weeks, I ended up going along, trekking into the hospital, having lots of tests and questions thrown at me and blood tests. It was an emotionally and physically draining experience. Uh, I just felt absolutely battered by this. Um, and on one of the days that I came away from the hospital, they figured out that this wasn't things, they'd ruled things out like leukemia, but they had said it's one of these two conditions. And I remember my mother going online to look at these two conditions so that we could learn more about them. And she said, Chris, you need to come and see these. And I looked at these conditions and the prognosis that it said for both of these was a terminal prognosis. And I thought, there's no, there's no good prognosis here. And I remember going to sleep that night or going to bed that night and not being able to sleep. And I came downstairs uh, into my living room and um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to turn to. I knew that God was real. And so I called on him and I started asking him, Lord, what's going on here? I didn't know my Bible particularly well. And I remember turning in my Bible and it turned to Philippians 4. And this was about the peace of God that will transcend all understanding and will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And boom, this peace just came on me. There I was really upset, um, really unnerved at the whole situation, thinking this is it, this is the end. And the peace of God came on me 
Um, it was phenomenal. And this passage for me holds great significance in my life now. It's a passage that I've held on to many times. And we're going to see as we look at this passage how desperate everyone was for a saviour on this ship, for the condition that was happening. So if you turn with me, we're looking at verse 14. And it says, Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Corda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. This was a ship with experienced sailors on board. This is what they did. It was actually because of how experienced they were that they knew how serious this situation was. They knew the trouble that they were in. They were doing everything that they could to withstand this storm, but there did not seem to be an end in sight. And these sailors and these soldiers were told had given up all hope of being saved. They've endured all they can in this passage and they've essentially given up the fight. Uh, they can't keep going in this environment. They've thrown the cargo and the tackle overboard to lighten the load, but the weather has trapped them in. The storm is raging. There's no let up. And I think even the great Apostle Paul, this well-seasoned traveller, is resigned a little bit to the fact that death is imminent. And so God in his grace um, brings faith into this situation and he sends an angel of the Lord. And we read it in verse 23. And it says, last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. Now, I just want to say that this is not normal. I've never had an angel turn up to affirm me. Uh, not many people get that angel of the Lord turning up to bring a message. But my experience, and I know many others, has been that God speaks today and he acts today. And he loves us and he cares for us. And we can be confident in that. And I think sometimes our experiences of worldly relationships can affect our view of who God is. And I want to say that although this seems to be an 11th hour appearance, this isn't actually how God has to work. Yes, do you know what? He said there will be trials in life and he wants us to grow and mature in our faith in him. So just as parents, we want to raise our children, we want to raise them well so that they can handle the trials that come at them in life. God also wants us to mature in our faith so that we get to stand firm in the trials that we face, in the storms that we face. And it's learning lessons of being able to come to him quickly so that we learn to forgive and to reconcile quickly. And I want to say God is not some sort of masochist just wanting to see us squirm in these situations. He's not holding things um, back just so he can see how we react, whether we break or not. He says he's our father. 
He's actually laid down his life for us so that we could know him. And he knew we couldn't do life without him. So he didn't leave us alone. He sent his Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us. And uh, Matthew 6 gives us even more assurances that he is a God who provides for us. He's not stingy or aloof. He's a generous, lavish God who wants to meet with us. He wants intimacy with us. In fact, he wants to empower us to stand through the storms. He wants us to live not in fear or uncertainty. In fact, it's not just a want, it's his delight to come and to speak to us, for us to hear his voice. It's his delight to show us his power. It's his delight to affirm his love and his plans over our lives. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but for you, the latest storms may be one of grieving, as you've maybe lost someone. And you're just thinking, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this storm. I don't know how I'm going to get through this next season. It may be that you've just lost your job and financially you're just feeling totally shipwrecked. It may be that during lockdown, your relationships have suffered. They feel vulnerable, out of control or even just totally bad. And I believe God wants to speak into these situations today. I believe he wants to give you his wisdom and his power to navigate through the storm. He wants to give us rest and peace where we need it. Actually, what he really wants is us to encounter him. He knows what we need and he's not waiting for you to come begging. Actually, he loves it when we come and ask him because he's so willing to respond to our requests. Secondly, then, I want to say God's heart is that all are saved. I don't know if you've watched the film Titanic. Maybe you're too young to have seen that. Um, for all of you who see this, you'll know what I'm doing. Jack! But I was um, slightly surprised just to see how these gallant British attitudes came through as their men gallantly made sure that all the women and children were on the lifeboats first. I know when um, my wife and I were in France, we stumbled upon this village that we decided to stay in for the night. And we went out in the morning and realized there was some big event happening. And we got caught up in this sort of bull run. And what they would do is they would, this bull would run up the street and these guys had to tackle the bull. And it, we, we realized we were in this. And on one of these occasions, uh, this bull got loose and the guys didn't manage to grab it. And this, we were standing behind this car. There wasn't the health and safety that you expect. And the bull came for us behind the car. And my natural instinct was just to jump on top of the car and save myself. My wife behind me, I, I had no concept of whatsoever. Fortunately, she did too. She managed to jump on the car. But I know this self-preservation, this idea of just wanting to save ourselves just comes through in the things that we do. And I thought watching the Titanic, I was surprised that these men were willing to give up their lifeboats for the men and women. But actually, reading further into this, we find out it was the captain uh, of that ship of the Titanic. It was Edward Smith, who actually threatened to shoot men unless they yielded to women uh, for lifeboat seats. And actually a huge proportion of women were su survived that Titanic journey. But looking uh, at disasters, looking at boat disasters uh, and our instinct to save ourselves, I realized that looking at the stats, that on the whole, researchers have found uh, that this is a natural inclination that people do. They, um, researchers analysed 18 of the world's most famous maritime disasters 
ranging from the HMS Birkenhead, that grounded in the Indian Ocean in 1852, to the MV Bulgaria tourist ship that sank on Russia's Volga River last year. And only 17% of women survived, compared with 34% of men. And they actually suggest that in three of the shipwrecks of these 18, all of the women died. And you know, self-preservation is what many see as a natural order of things, isn't it? Uh, survival of the fittest, it's natural instincts. But the Bible has something else to say this. It actually calls this self-preservation selfishness. It's called a broken world. It's called a broken heart that always wants to choose to uh, serve self over others. But the kingdom of God looks very different to that. The kingdom of God is one of one anothering. It's about putting others before ourselves. And do you know what? We see God's heart being worked out in this narrative here uh, as he speaks to Paul. And he says, do not be a free prey, Paul. Do you remember? He says, you must stand trial before Caesar and, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Do you know there are 274 people on the ship? It's sailors and soldiers and prisoners, and they're all admitting defeat. And yet God speaks into this situation to convey his absolute value over mankind, that they're precious to him. And it's not just those that are free on that ship, not those sailors or those soldiers. It's not just those who have committed petty crimes that he's saying you'll make it through. There are dangerous criminals who are being transported out of Caesarea because their crime is so heinous. And yet God, in his grace, declares he will rescue all on that ship. Every life on that ship is valuable to him, no matter what they've done in their past. And we see this self-preservation, this heart of self-preservation and self uh, coming out in the men on this ship constantly. So in verse 30, if you turn with me, it says, um, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. These are the sailors. They decide that the easy route out is to just sneak on to the lifeboat. I can totally imagine that being something that I would be doing as well. Um, but Paul, he actually knew that God's promise seemed to be conditional on all men being present in this situation. And he knew that God was teaching all 274 men on this boat something about unity and learning to trust in Yahweh, in the, in the God that Paul was speaking to them about. But what we're seeing here is a total contrast in the heart of man and the heart that God has in this passage. And it comes out again in verse 42. We're actually told that the, later on, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escape him. So at this point here, they have hit the sandbank. They can see the shore, but the front end of their ship is totally stuck. And from the back, the waves are starting to pound and destroy this boat. And it's only a matter of time that they've got before the ship is, fall, is gonna fall apart. And so decisions are having to be made on this ship. And there's this sense, you can imagine the arguments, we need to let the prisoners go. We need to release them so that they can swim to shore. But for these Roman soldiers, the penalty for losing a prisoner is vast. Actually, what they would do normally is they would have to take on whatever penalty the prisoner had, whatever sentence they were going to serve, if 
a Roman soldier was to lose that prisoner, they would have to serve that sentence themselves. They would suffer the same fate. So for them, in this situation here, the easy option is just to kill all of the prisoners. They're just prisoners after all, but it's self-preservation. You know, it's easy to kill them and to not have to suffer with working that out. But God's promise, we find out, holds true, don't we? And we find out that it was Julius who we're, we're told he, in verse 43, uh, the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to get to land. Now the rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Who knew, hey? That surfing originated in the Bible right here after this shipwreck. Do you know God's heart really is that all are saved? Uh, saved not particularly from the storms that we face in our lives. The Bible doesn't promise that we won't go through storms, but actually from the storm of death and separation from him. We know that John 3.16 says, For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know, we're all gonna face storms in our lives, but the ultimate superstorm in our life is gonna be the storm of death and judgment on the life that we have lived. And that is gonna to come to all of us, no matter who we are. But there is one, the Bible says, who has faced this for us. There is one who was crucified called Jesus, who faced the biggest storm of all time and rose again, having not only defeated death, but having paid the price for our rebellion once and for all. He faced this so that we don't have to do it. He faced this because he loves us. He laid down his life for us, even knowing just how fickle and corrupted our hearts truly are. Because he loves you and because he wants to know you. And I just want to say there's nothing we can see from this passage and many others, there's nothing that you have done in your life that is unforgivable to him. Here we have a ship full of convicts. We see a thief on a cross. We see a broken world that Jesus came to save. God's heart is vast and it truly is that all are saved. Finally, I wanna say we get to bring hope and encouragement in difficult times. I know, um, We've had lots of uh, challenging times and storms in our life, but I remember uh, having our first child. That was a very challenging time for us. Um, what happened is we went into the hospital and they very quickly realised that the cord was wrapped around our daughter's neck, twice in fact. And so every time there was a contraction happening, her pulse would slow down dramatically. And in this hospital that we were in, it was pretty understaffed. And so we had one midwife who was struggling, to be honest. She was struggling because she had several different families that were struggling all at the same time. And she had several people she had to go in and out of. And so we were seeing her probably every hour. She would come in for half an hour and then she'd be gone again. And we knew the situation here was dangerous. She knew it was dangerous. She kept coming in and checking the charts. And I have to be honest, that was a long night obviously much longer for my wife, but it was a long night and it was difficult and scary. But at that change of shift at seven o'clock in the morning, things just seemed to change. Uh, the midwife that came in was just superb. She, was, she had a smile on her face 
and uh, she rocked in. She first thing she did was open up the curtains. We'd gone from total darkness to light just coming through. And she was happy and she was, she was like, let's get this thing going then. She looked at the chart, she says, yep, it's not gonna be long, it's gonna be great, you're gonna be fine. And she just encouraged us, she had total confidence that even though there was a problem here, even though this was gonna be slightly difficult, she was totally confident that we were in the right place and that things were gonna be, things were gonna be fine. And you know, here in this passage, we see Paul bringing a hope and encouragement in the darkest of times. And so, Let's just read again. Verse 21. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the gods, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it, uh, that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Do you know, apart from the biggest I told you so here that we see, I think, in the whole of Scripture, he thankfully goes on to bring a hope that is tangible. He explains that actually the gravity that an angel of his God appeared to him and told him it was going to be okay. And he goes on to give what you would expect the captain of the ship to give to the crew. He gives this pep talk and he, he tells them to keep up their courage. Um, and he even goes on to let them know that actually all of this trouble is not over. There's more to happen. But he does some very simple things as well. He knows these guys haven't eaten for 14 days, not because there's no food, but because the storm has destroyed any appetite that they may have had. So he encourages them in just caring for them and just the simple things that will help them in this time. He almost, he, he takes the lead. And you know, his faith is phenomenally infectious. And it's the crew who have lost all hope, we're told. They just can't see their way through this situation. But Paul comes with a confidence and faith that God has spoken. That gives these men on this ship faith that things are going to be okay. Not all of the men, but specifically the actions of the centurion Julius is astonishing. We read, don't we, in verse 31. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. This is amazing. This centurion obviously fully believed and had faith in what Paul was saying. Because to cut away the only means of escape in this situation feels like just total insanity, doesn't it? And for many of us, we often, we so often have these little life wraps hanging on in areas of our life that help us to feel in control. You know, financial stability set up for that rainy day, private health care, insurance for this and for that. And you know, I wanna say none of these things are bad in and of themselves, but if they become the savior, then I think we're on choppy waters. We've seen it, haven't we, during this COVID storm as financial markets have just totally crashed and savings and pensions and investments have been decimated. We've seen insurance for companies and for holidays being refused as these insurance companies have tried to wriggle out of paying up. Our health services are brilliant, but they've been at breaking point. 
and we simply don't have the antidote for the viruses yet. But I want to say hope and faith and encouragement at this time, in this dark time of this situation, is what the church get the joy of bringing to, our, to this nation. The faith that God is with us and he'll never leave us. The faith that even in this storm, God is still sovereign over it. The faith actually of our eternal hope and future where there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more sadness. I have no doubts reading this story that if Paul wasn't on this ship, the 275 passengers just would not have survived that ordeal. But he was able to bring hope, faith and courage to keep them going through the storm. His faith in God's rescue plan literally gave life to the entire ship. The impact and the consequence of Paul's faith on the back of this encounter with the angel was remarkable. His words of encouragement just to keep going. It's dead simple, keep going, to hold firm, to affirm them that God has a plan for each and every one of them was amazing. I wanna say we're currently living in unprecedented times. And I think more than ever before, we get to bring hope and faith and courage to our world. A.W. Tozer, uh, he says this, he says, a frightened world needs a fearless church. Do you know, church, we bring this confidence and faith, not because we're somehow immune to the storms and its effects in life, but because nothing can separate us from the love of God. And our hope lies not in the vaccine to COVID-19, as, as good as that will be, our hope not lies, doesn't lie in our health service, our NHS, which has been brilliant. Our hope doesn't even lie in Boris Johnson's new stimulation package for our economy. Our hope lies in our eternal future that has been purchased for us. So I want to say if you're a Christian and you're listening today, and I want to remind you that God has saved you from separation from him. You're not facing any of the storms of life by yourself. He is with you and you have his family around you also. He guarantees you he'll never leave you. And as a sheep of his, you will hear his voice. And that will come through when you're spending time just listening to him or reading his words or hearing from brothers and sisters in the church. I wanna remind us that we are an absolute beacon of light in this dark world, shining the light of hope and faith with you as you recognize that God has prepared a place for you forever in his presence. And finally, if you don't know Jesus today and you're tuning in, I want you to know that just as these men found themselves in a storm with Paul, you now find yourself logging in online to a church in Liverpool called Freedom Church. And I wanna tell you that God is a great rescuer. So no matter what is going on in your life, God wants you to know him. His pearly white gates, they are wide open for you. It's not that it's about the religious going here or the educated or the celebrities or the wealthy. Actually, they're wide open to all who choose to put their faith in him. And I just want to say to you if, you, if that's you this morning and you want to know that security and that peace in the storms of life and what is going on in your life, then we would love you to contact us and we would love to be able to send you some stuff and speak to you and pray with you. So please, you can, uh, you can message us 
on this um, YouTube live. You can contact us on our Facebook page or our website. And we would love to send you stuff that will help you. And we'd love to be able to contact you and meet with you. Have a great week. I hope this blesses you.